Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. many of you know, uh, maybe you know this, uh, we have been in a teaching series for the last several weeks where we've been talking about how God is building a bigger table. Um, And we've been talking about how that happens through us, how that happens through us choosing to sit and live and be next to, shoulder to shoulder with folks who are different than we are. That happens when we choose to do the difficult work of learning how to deal with and wrestle with disagreement because disagreements are gonna happen. We talked last week about how a bigger table, it happens when all of us say yes to bringing something to the table, bringing our gifts, bringing what you and I uniquely have been given by God to bring to this table. These are just some of the ways that we partner with God in creating a more beautiful and diverse and unified world here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we are talking about when we talk about a bigger table. But another way that 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 happens, another way that our table continues, God's table continues to get bigger, is through the practice of giving. And if you've been around here for a while, you know that God has been so incredibly faithful and grown our table here at Soul City beyond what we ever imagined. Some of you remember when this building wasn't here. God has literally grown this building over the last several years. God is recently growing the ways that we are able to meet needs and serve our community through things like the House of Hope that is in the midst of launching right now, this summer. It's very, very exciting. God has continued to grow this table. And a huge reason that that has been able to happen is because of the faithful and consistent generosity of folks just like you. And so if you're here, if you're watching online and you wanna take part in continuing to make more and more room for more people at this table, there's three ways you can do that. Uh, You can give online, uh, you can text in, the number should be on the screen if you're watching, it's on the screen behind me. Or on your way out today, there are two giving kiosks, they're just on the either side of those desks out there. On your way out, you can give in that way as well. And if you are one of the folks who as I said, continually and and faithfully and consistently give to the work that God is doing here, thank you. Thank you, seriously. You are a huge reason that we are able to continue week in and week out to move forward with God in our mission of leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. That's what we're all about here. And maybe you're new, maybe this is your first time. That's really what I want you to know. That's what we're all about. We want you to, to know Jesus more and more and to invite him to not only inform and guide your life, but I believe transform your life as well. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. So as I said, we're wrapping up actually. Today is the final week of this series, A Bigger Table. And I've had a lot of fun being a part of this over the last couple weeks. And over the last month or so, we've been looking, we've spent a lot of time looking up here at this really big table. And that has gotten my mind turning around what are the other big or important or famous tables that we see in our culture or around the world? They were wondering as well. And that got me thinking about tables like the ping pong table. Anybody? Now, okay, this might not be a very important table for you in your life. This was a very important table for 15-year-old John. And if anyone here would like to challenge me to a little table tennis after the service, just bring your paddle. That's all I'm saying. I got mine ready to go. But uh, then there's other, you know, famous tables throughout history, like uh, King Arthur's Round Table. Anyone? 
Yes, you remember this? This is where King Arthur gathered all the knights of Camelot. Again, all these different people from all these different places to come together with a common mission. Maybe some of you are fans of the periodic table. Any fans of the periodic table out there? Yeah, nerds, let's go. Um, No, I I have to be honest. Uh, I have never understood what's going on up here. And that is probably why I do what I do and you do what you do. We all have our gifts. Uh, but, but the table that I actually want to spend a little bit of time discussing to get us going here is this table. Anyone know this table from here with this one? Ah, yes. Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. This was a depiction of the last meal that Jesus shared with his followers, with his disciples before he was arrested and crucified. This is a hugely familiar painting and probably one of the most famous tables ever. But there's something really, really significant going on in this painting. And it's more significant, or it's just as significant as the fact that, you know, this is a painting where Jesus and his disciples are depicted as a bunch of white guys. Uh, And I want to be very, very clear. I always want to remind us, as first century Middle Eastern Jews, this group, they didn't look like me, okay? They looked a little bit different. And I also want to point out, I want to give maybe a little advice in the words of Alexander Hamilton. I would compel da Vinci to include women in the sequel, perhaps. Um, Yes, yeah. Thank you, Pastor Jeannie, for that one. That was good. Uh, Truly, truly, I I agree. But there's something else going on uh, just out of sight in this painting. And I don't mean to sound like I've been reading too much of the Da Vinci Code, but I I really want to point out and spend some time camping out on who is in this photo. Like, who is really around this table? So let's start with the obvious. First and foremost, we have Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, ever heard of him? Uh, The King of Kings, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. Yes, that's how we know him. However, in Jesus' day, he was known mainly as a rabbi. And for those of you who are not familiar, a rabbi was a Jewish religious teacher of sorts. And part of a rabbi's job, other than to teach, was to collect and train up these followers or disciples. And in the first century, in order to be a rabbi, you had to be extremely devout, and extremely well-educated. We're talking like med school times four here. And so therefore, in order to be a follower or a disciple of a rabbi, you also had to be extremely devout and extremely well-educated. And so it should be a surprise when over here, we have two guys named Peter and Andrew. Now, Peter and Andrew, before they were disciples of Jesus, they were fishermen. And to be a fisherman in the ancient world meant that you probably dropped out of school somewhere around the equivalent of fifth or sixth grade. That's how far these guys made it in the education system. That's how educated these two guys were. And yet, Jesus still made room for them at his table, not just at his table, but to be his disciples. Here's something else going on here. Over here, all the way on your right, we have a guy named Simon the Zealot. Now, his name was just Simon, but they called him the Zealot because he was a part of a social political party of the day called the Zealots. And the Zealots were this group of Jews in the first century who absolutely despised Rome and all things Roman Empire. In fact, the thing that sort of set apart the Zealots from any of the other Jewish revolutionary groups of the time is that the Zealots were committed to a violent overthrow of Rome by force. The Zealots had a thirst for blood, specifically Roman blood. 
And so it should be absolutely shocking to us that right near Simon, we have a guy named Matthew. Now Matthew, for those of you who don't know, Matthew's job is he is a tax collector, which means that it is Matthew's job to go around to all the Jewish homes and collect the extremely high, extremely unfair, extremely unjust Roman taxes. Matthew is Jewish, but barely, because he is deep in the pocket of big Rome, okay? Matthew, he works for the Romans. And so any Jew, especially a zealot, absolutely despised tax collectors. And yet here, you have Simon and Matthew sitting at the same table, following the same rabbi. This would have been unheard of in the ancient world, and it would have created a really awkward dinner for Thaddeus. We've all been Thaddeus at one Thanksgiving or another, haven't we? <laughs> now, we could keep going through this entire painting, but I think you get the point. Jesus' closest group of 12 followers, it was not a homogenous group of super religious priests, was it? But Jesus chose, he chose to surround himself with different kinds of folks. Different kind of folks from different backgrounds, with different worldviews and economic and social agendas and statuses and political beliefs. That's what Jesus chose to do. But the one thing that all of these people had in common, the one thing they shared is that they were invited to the table by Jesus. If there was nothing else they had in common, they were invited to Jesus's table. And you should know also that in Jesus's culture, there wasn't really a blueprint or a precedent that would have led him to get this kind of group together. This messy sort of ragtag gang of random guys. This wasn't something that people, especially rabbis, were doing in the world. Jesus' team was what LeBron thought his Lakers were. They were built different. They were built different. Because Jesus, Jesus wasn't inviting people because it was part of the cultural trend to invite a certain kind of people. He wasn't doing it because he thought that these types of people would help him gain greater status. He certainly wasn't inviting these people because it was comfortable for them to sit next to each other or comfortable for him to be at the table. No, Jesus' invitation was informed first and foremost by God's vision for a bigger table. That's what Jesus was playing at. That's what Jesus was inviting to inform when he was looking, hey, who are going to be my followers? Who do I want to be in my circle? Jesus said, hey, God, what, what is your vision for my invitation. And this morning, that's the question that I want us to begin to turn over in our heads and wrestle with a little bit, is when, when you invite someone to the table, when you invite someone to your table, what informs who you invite? When you invite someone into your home, or when you're putting together a list for a party or a dinner party or something like that, or when, even when you're looking for someone to, to invite to church or to sit next to at church, when you bring someone to the table, what is it that informs who you're inviting? This week, I want us to talk about who we're bringing to the table and how we decide who it is we're bringing. Are you ready? If you are, just nod. Yes. 
lifelessly. Yes, wonderful. Let's do it. Grab a Bible for me. Uh, if, you're, if you're in this room, there should be a Bible just underneath the seat in front of you and turn to Luke chapter 14. That is on page 848. If you're watching online, grab your own Bible, open up a tab, whatever it might be. Uh, Luke chapter 14 in the Soul City Bible, page 848. Now, a little background for you. The book of Luke that we're going to be looking at is one of the four gospels that are found in the Bible, which are the four accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's books like Luke that gave us the story of the Last Supper. And in Luke's version, this author includes more mealtime scenes with Jesus than any other gospel. Luke was a first century foodie, probably lived in the West Loop. And in Luke 14, specifically in this one chapter that we're gonna be looking at, in Luke 14, we find an entire chapter filled with these mealtime scenes or these feast narratives. And in them, Jesus is kind of doing what we're doing in this series. What Jesus is doing in this chapter is he's using the table, the image of a table or a meal, to describe what this transformational life with God looks like. And in verse 12, he begins to talk about invitations to the table. Let's look together at Luke chapter 14, verse 12. It says, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." Now, some of you may know that this section of the Bible was originally written in the Greek language. And I'm going to get a little nerdy with you, but I promise you it'll be worth it. So, the Greek word for invite or invitation here is the word kaleo. Everyone say that with me. Kaleo. Wonderful. You're nerds as well. I knew it. So, the word kaleo, it means call or invite. And that word appears 12 different times in this chapter alone. I'll say that again. In a chapter where Jesus is trying to describe what this life with God is supposed to look like, the word invite or invitation is said 12 times. Our guy is not being subtle here. Jesus is making a very, very clear point that the practice and art of inviting is fundamental. It is foundational to the bigger table kind of life. That's what this life, in a sense, is all about. If Jesus were a really trendy 21st century pastor, he might say it like this. Invitation is the foundation for transformation. Invitation is the foundation for transformation. Transformation meaning growth, meaning meaningful life change. That almost always starts with a simple invitation. I mean, think about it. I, I bet you can think about an area or a time in your life where this was true. Whether it was a season of growth professionally or relationally, even physically, personally, a, a season where things really changed for you in a positive way, I bet maybe that started with an invitation. Like it just started with an invitation to start joining that meeting at work or just to work on that one project. Or, or maybe it was just an invitation to 
go to that dinner, go to that person's house for a holiday. Or is an invitation to, to run a race like the marathon with Team World Vision. Yes, some of you did that a few weeks ago. You got an invitation to do that. And you look at all the change that has happened in your life and that can be traced back to that one invite. Because of that one invitation, your career or your relationships or even your physical body now looks totally different. This is true for your spiritual life as well. Whatever your spiritual life might look like for you right now, however you might describe that, this is just true. Many of you are here in this room or watching online. You are a part of this church because someone invited you to be here at one point or another. I know this is true because this has been true for me in my life. When I look back on the times and seasons where God grew me, where God challenged me and transformed my life for the better, almost every single one of them started or was brought on by some kind of invitation. Whether it was when I was 14 years old and I was invited to go to a summer camp. And that's all it was, an invitation to a summer camp. But it was at that camp that I first entered into what we call a transforming relationship with Jesus. Or, or whether it was my freshman year of college when I was invited to lead a Bible study and I said yes, even though I'd never read the Bible in my life. <laughs> that was the start of something. It was the start of a change in me and my relationship with God. Or whether it was a few years ago when Aaron and I, my wife and I, we were invited to be a part of a Soul City group and we accepted that invitation during one of the loneliest seasons we've ever had in our marriage. And being a part of that group absolutely transformed our day-to-day -day relationships, our friendships, the way God has changed our lives. And again, these invitations that I talked about, they were really small. Like, they were really simple. They didn't feel like these big spiritual invitations at the time. It didn't feel like a big moment. But looking back, God used every single one of them. He used every single one of them as the starting line, as the catalyst for God to start moving and transforming my life in meaningful ways. And if I flip the coin on the other side, I can also think about times where God used an invitation that I extended to someone else to change or transform their life in a meaningful way. And again, you should know, when I was extending these invitations, it didn't feel like a big spiritual calling or this lightning bolt from God. What it felt like was making plans. Like oftentimes being used by God in our modern world, what it can look like is comparing your calendar with someone else <laughs> to see when you can get together in your busy schedules and actually being intentional about crafting that time. And when those invitations were extended, I needed to remember, we all need to remember, it wasn't my job to do the transformation, was it? That was, that was God's job. The hard part, that's up to him. My job was to simply share an invitation. That's what your job is. This is what we're called to do. Again, Jesus, he is so clear here that a bigger table happens, not just when everyone is invited to the table, but a bigger table happens when everyone is also an inviter to the table, that not only do we all have a seat at the table, not only do we all have something to bring to the table, we all also have someone to invite to the table. And who knows, who knows, God might just use your small invitation to begin a process of change, to begin a process of growth or transformation in someone else's life and in yours. Now, I want us to look back 
at the text. We're not going to leave Luke 14 just yet. We still have more to eat here. So I want us to look back and I want us to look a little bit deeper because if we look at this teaching again, what we'll see, what we'll notice is that for Jesus, it's not just important that we invite people, is it? It's also important, according to Jesus, who we choose to invite. Look again at verse 12. Jesus says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Now, I want to be really clear about something. Scholars agree that Jesus is being hyperbolic here, meaning that he is not giving an absolute rule for us. He is not forbidding us from ever extending invites to family or friends. Some of you are disappointed right now because you're tired of seeing your family. No, 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 that's not the excuse. What Jesus, what he's pointing out here is that those types of invitations, they will always be our default. They will always be what we default to. Invitations to friends, gatherings with family, gatherings with people who you really like, or who look really a lot like you, those things, they will always naturally happen. And they should. They should. What Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to push us outside of our comfort zones a little bit. Look at verse 13. He says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Jesus' day and age, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, sometimes scholars would refer to them as the quartet of the vulnerable. These were the outcasts of Jesus' day. These were the undesirables. These were the untouchables. These were those who did not receive invitations to dinner parties because they did not have any family or friends to invite them to those dinner parties. And here... Jesus is saying that living the bigger table life often looks like inviting in those who our world leaves out. Living this kind of life, it often looks like opening our doors for those on whom the world has turned its back. It means looking around and pushing ourselves past our natural question, because our natural question is, who do I want to be in community with? Who do I want to hang out with? Who do I want to be around with? Jesus is saying, that's fine, but push past that a little bit. Push past that question to who around me is in desperate need of connection? And who do I desperately need to connect with? In order to invite God to continually expand my table, who do I need to connect with that might not come to mind at first? I'll show you what Jesus is pointing out here in us. What, what he's doing here is he's saying that when it comes to our invitations, our tendency will always be to stick to the short list, to just stick with what works, to, to stick with what we know, to, to invite the people that we know we like, <laughs> to invite the people that we get along with, where it'll be easy, it'll be comfortable. We stick to the short list of folks who we see eye to eye with. This, this unintentional guest list, it will never get any longer. It'll never get any longer. And so here, in Luke 14, Jesus is challenging us a bit. He's saying, hey, you know what? I understand that this might be the human default for invitation, but could you open up your minds for a second? Because this, this is God's desire for invitation. 
What Jesus is saying here, in other words, is that a bigger table requires a longer guest list. If we wanna build a bigger table, if we're gonna have more seats and we don't want them to be empty, we're gonna need a longer guest list. If we want to see a world that is continually transformed by the love and the power and the hope of God, if we wanna build a bigger table, our guest list needs to get longer. It means that when we're thinking about who we're bringing to the table, who we're inviting, the invitation, it's not just for these people. It's not just for the select few. It's not just for what's easy or comfortable for me. But God's invitation, the invitation to God's table, it is also for this person, the person who's here on your list. It's also for the person who's here on your list. God's invitation, it's even for the person that you've never even thought about inviting. It's even for the person who you wouldn't dare to invite. That's how long the guest list is. And can I just say real quick how grateful I am that God doesn't work like this when he does his inviting. How grateful I am that, that God works like that. Because I can think of so many times in my life where I was so certain that I wouldn't make God's guest list. That because of stuff I'd done or stuff I'd said or, or ways that I didn't measure up religiously with God or people that I'd hurt in my life, I was so sure that, that there's no way God's list, God's invitation was also for me. But again, the, the scandal and the beauty of God's love is that when we were the spiritually poor, or when we were spiritually blind, when we were spiritually left out, Jesus came and he died to make room for all of us to sit at the table, to be in relationship with God. Listen to me, if you're here in this room, God's guest list, it is long enough that it includes even you. God's table, it is big enough, it includes even me, even you. And so, if we have received that kind of invitation, if we know the sweetness of that grace-filled invitation, why wouldn't we want to extend that to other people? If we know what it's like to be transformed by God's love, why wouldn't we want to follow his lead? Why wouldn't we want to follow Jesus' example, his teaching that a bigger table requires a longer guest list? And so here is your homework this week. I bet you can see where this is going. But here's the specific question I want you to ask. Not who are you going to invite, but who is the person you never considered inviting? Like, who's the person that has never even entered your mind that they're in that category? That they're someone you could invite? Or who's the person that, that you have considered? They've been in your mind these last couple weeks. You've been meaning to text them, but you haven't yet actually shared that invitation. When I say that, who comes to mind for you? Again, not someone on your short list. This might just be someone who you don't know very well. And so it's going to feel a little uncomfortable when you reach out in that way. Or maybe it's someone who annoys you a little bit. Or maybe it's somebody who 
You know that they have opinions or worldviews that are different than yours. And so just to stay comfortable, you usually try to avoid them. Or maybe it's just someone you never considered. Like, you know this person. They're the person who does your hair. They're the person who lives next to you, sits next to you at work. But you never actually considered that that relationship, that might actually be a place where God is inviting you to share an invitation. And that invitation, it could look many ways. It could look like you inviting them out to coffee, you inviting them over to your house for a meal, you inviting them to join in your 4th of July celebration next week. Could include you inviting them to church, who knows? I wanna be clear, I actually think that that invitation can and should be appropriate to what the relationship currently is. Like, I'm not saying that you got to invite everyone over to your house for dinner because we got to live on a budget, you know. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) I'm not saying that you got to open up your inner circle of friends to everyone. That's not what this is about. I'm not even saying that you have to invite every single person that you run across to come here to church. I'm not saying that. Remember, we just talked about how Jesus, he didn't necessarily always invite people to church. He invited people to meals. He invited people to go on walks. He invited people to parties and to weddings. He invited people into life. And I want to remind you all, this is a deeply spiritual practice of inviting that you already do all the time. Like you already do this. You're already good at inviting people. What I, what Jesus is asking us to do is invite God into that process. Invite God to be the one to inform who you give your invitation to. When you're figuring out the guest list for the party, give God a seat at the table. And turn and ask, hey, where have we left it too short? Who's the person that we wouldn't think of? Who's the person that maybe no one else has thought of? How is God challenging me to make my table a little bit bigger? And how can I actually be proactive in that by sharing an invitation? Again, maybe you're just walking around the office next week. You go out to lunch with a group of friends always, and you always walk by one person's desk. Maybe this week you just share the invite. They'll probably say no. When you walk by next week, let them know they can come then. And then the next week, and then the next week whatever it might look like. Who is that person for you? And what invitation is God asking you to share with them? And then lastly, before we go, I would love for us to pray for those folks who we're going to invite. Just to pray that that God would put them in your path, that, that God would be preparing their hearts even now to receive an invitation that they have no idea is coming their way. They have no idea God is about to start working in their lives. And those names that are coming to your mind, they might seem really random right now. I know who's coming to my mind. It's my neighbor, Van, who is a like 70-year-old guy from Korea who walks his dog all the time and we constantly run into each other. I've never, in all of my time living in my neighborhood, I've never stopped and talked to Van and been like, hey, why don't we just go in the same direction with our dogs? because Van and I are very different. We don't have a ton in common. That's really random. (laughs) I'm going to try and trust. I'm going to try and trust that this week. 
can you try and trust who God is bringing to your mind? Maybe you want to write those names down so you can continue to pray for them this week. And pray that God might just, in his divine wisdom, use your invitation to begin a process of meaningful change in someone's life. So would you stand with me? Uh, And there's a posture of prayer we like to take around here. Uh, If you're comfortable, to place your hands out in front of you, just with your palms up. And all this is, it's just a posture of availability before God. You're just saying, with your physical body, God, I am available. Whatever the invitation, whoever that person is, wherever I'm supposed to invite them, God, I'm willing to be available. God, would you speak to me because I'm ready to receive it. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God of the invitation. That you are a God who invites all people, everyone, to your table. Thank you that we are people who have received that invitation. I thank you for the person who is standing out there and is still unsure that your invitation is for them, God. It's for them as well. Thank you. And now, God, as people who have received the invitation, would we be people who share it with others? As people who have received your love, would we be people who share your love? As people who have received your power, would we be people who share your power? And on and on and on. And God, I pray a special prayer for those names that are in our head right now. The names that your spirit put on our hearts during this time together. The names that we're going to be sharing an invitation with. God, would you prepare their heart even now? Would you open them up? Would you put them in a place where they would be willing to say yes to an invitation? And in saying yes to an invitation, without maybe even them knowing it, they're going to be saying yes to you. And when we say yes to you, God, crazy, awesome things happen. And I pray that crazy, awesome things happen, would happen in the lives of each and every person here in this room or watching online today. Each and every person who's going to share an invitation, would they see crazy, awesome, cool things happen in their lives, in the lives of those they invite? because of your invitation that we're all here. And so God, we claim that we are available to share it now. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.